Shut up and sit down. everyone. I hope you're all doing great. I was sitting here earlier and I was um, actually doing some prep work for Nano um, and going through my currently published works, figuring out where I could pick up a a sequel um, for April. And no, I don't want anybody's advice uh, (laughs) on that particular topic. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's really, so I was thinking about all the prep that I do and um, I was curious um, I was just really thinking about it and thinking it'd be really cool as a topic to talk about the various preps that you do to go through a um to get a, um to get a to get ready to write. And I think that a lot of these um these uh techniques and things that we do um transcend whether or not you're a panner or a plotter. Um plotter <laughs> a plotter, a, a panther or a plotter. Um so uh yeah, we're gonna talk about it and um uh Jilly is on the air, and she'll be joining me later in the week um, on Friday, which will be <laughs> which will be the third of August. Lady Harder will be joining me. We're going to talk about pantsing and her um, prep going into uh, uh, various challenges and how she handles that. And your questions will, of course, be welcome during that process as well. So if you are a pantser and you're looking for advice on how to manage that, either with um, fan fiction or original work, Lady Holder will be on the air to talk about it. I volunteered her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I asked. I really did ask. Um, anyways, going to get her on the air. Going to get Jilly on the air, and we're going to talk about um, prepping for National Novel Writing Month and Big Bang's etc. Your questions are totally welcome in the chat room. Hello. I'm all I'm all sticky. You're <sighs> sticky. Hot. It's hot. <laughs> it's very hot. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> and this How is your toe situation? Oh dude, it is so swollen. I mean I was really focused on the earlier I I got my foot tangled up with a fan. Don't even ask how that happened. But I ripped off about a third of the nail on one side mm-hmm. down past the quick. My toe so hurts. The other mm. side, not quite so far down. The other side, it looks kind of like a mountain range. <laughs> so, um, but that, it bled, it bled, bled, bled. I thought I'd injured multiple toes because the blood got all over everything. But, um, but now, wow. you know, once that, once all that, once that subsided and I got that all wrapped up, then I started my toes started to swell, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> okay." You didn't break it, did you? I don't think. I mean, it's not like purple or anything. It's just swollen, and it hurts, but it's just swollen. I guess that could be trauma. Yeah. But and this the headset that 
blocks out the most of the fan noise going on here because we've got like a fan tunnel um, is of course the one that is the hottest on my ears. <laughs> so, is that the one that we I've have got, just alike? Yes. It's very hot on the ears. So I have a handkerchief, handkerchief under covering the ear cushions. So I've got these like white flags <laughs> out from my ear. <laughs> I bet you look like a prize. Um, for me, it's just that it's kind of tight on my head. And maybe that's because I've got a larger than average head. I'm Seriously, I do. My my head is like an inch larger than average for a woman. Huh. Yeah. Well, I actually, I, think, I actually think that these are uncomfortable. They feel tight, but I think what it actually is is insufficient padding on the ear cup. So it feels like there's all this pressure on the ear cartilage, but I just, when I compare mm-hmm. it to the padding on my other headphones, my other headphones have a, the padding is either thicker or denser or something. It just, I mean, basically this is those hard ear cups pressing on your ear for two hours. So, and then they start to sweat. I don't need, and I, I was sweating before I put them on and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be cleaning these after the show. <laughs> Overshare. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, if you have questions, now is the time to start putting them in the chat room, people. You got some questions. Um, today, I was working on my timeline for uh, my quantum bang. And I have, because of what I'm going to be doing with my quantum bang, I, I needed two timelines. I need the original timeline, and um, I needed uh, the events that I was going to fix. Because the whole point of the quantum bang is fix it. So I needed to figure out which events I was going to fix and which events I wanted to keep, which means I really had to build two timelines. And so that's one of the things that I was working on. Um, And I'd already um, done my plot, but I realized that I needed the timeline for continuity. And when you're doing a big project, 50 to 100 K continuity becomes an issue. And yeah. I consider continuity Huge. one of my better skills. Yeah, I've, and I've honed it over the years. I think that I think one of the best lessons I ever got from myself in continuity would be Sentinels of Atlantis. Um, because having a continuity error in Sentinels of Atlantis would be like a like a domino effect throughout my entire plot. It would just be it would just yeah. be epic. And one of the biggest continuity I did, Lady Holder's telling on me in the chat room, I did have a continuity error, and I found it. And I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do with this? And I had to rewrite what was basically my um, my season climax, and um, which is the queen. And originally, um, that episode was going to be focused on Taylor. Um, and Taylor would be the one who confronted the queen on that mining station or that that energy station. Um, but I had overlooked the fact that Mika was a gene carrier in canon. And it was a continuity error, and it was a big one. So, and this was a continuity error that if I let go on would have kind of rippled throughout my entire series and would have, oh, oh. <laughs> just thinking about it makes me, so I replotted, um, and because I replotted this the season climax, 
I had to replot the rest of the series uh, and change some things, and it ended up changing the pairing for for David Shepard. Um, that probably isn't much of a spoiler since, you know, David came online when Miko reached out. It's it's pretty obvious. Yeah, we, that we figured we figured it out. <laughs> he's her sentinel. Um, but originally, I had um, I had planned something different for David. So, um, yeah. So I had to, so there was that, there was this continuity error, and it really pissed me off because that isn't something that I normally do. And I think that because I had to rewrite a large portion of the Sentinels of Atlantis, that she fell through the woodwork, so to speak. Because yeah, I could see that because you lost it. I, I yeah, I lost about a hundred k of episodes. When I realized that Mika, I was like, oh, man, you know. And I don't even remember what I did with her in the original series. I just do not remember at all. Um, but I couldn't go back and rewrite what I lost anyway because it was infuriating. But, yeah, so a timeline helps you not make dumbass continuity errors like I did in that particular. And I'm glad that I thought when I did and I had an opportunity to fix it. And I'm really pleased with the queen. Um, I think it's very powerful what I wrote for the queen and, and and for Miko in particular. And, um, it has a really, um, awesome tone. And, um, I just, I'm really proud of the queen, but it wasn't what I intended to write originally. I had to make, I had to make, um, I had to fix it. (laughs) Sometimes even, even no matter how much you prepare, and this is, exactly what Kira's talking about. It's no matter how much you prepare, sometimes you still stumble over a problem. Uh, because it's just impossible to keep track of everything. Um, but no no amount of preparation is really... I, well, I mean, every once in a while I research something that I didn't wind up needing to know, but I have the confidence that that data wasn't relevant. And if you don't know it, you don't have the confidence that it's not relevant. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, you know, researching how something works or, you know, whatever. And then you don't wind up needing to actually explain that because it isn't really helpful. But you at least have the, the confidence that what you do have there is accurate and that you don't need the rest. Um, so I've never, I've, never, I've never researched something that I left out that I regretted researching um, because it, gave, it made me feel like I had more confidence than when I was writing. But I think one of the things people do when they prepare, whether they do timelines or, or work out, um, do a lot of research, is they have a tendency. It's like I researched it, damn it, it's going in the story. Um, and it's sort of like I, there was, um, I read this Harry Potter story once that it was like, I could tell when I do, when I do, uh, work for Harry Potter story, my timeline includes irrelevant things too. It's like what Kira was talking about. I have a timeline for my story, but also a canon timeline and the canon timeline Wow, my neighbors listen to their TV really loud. Um, the canon timeline <laughs> includes things like birthdays and, um, you know, major events and whatever. It, it includes 
stuff that in no way, shape, or form is relevant to the story. But it's sort of like if you're going to set a scene, uh, this is the way I work, is if I'm going to set a scene that takes place in a certain place, if it happens to be that I've happened to have stuck that on Draco's birthday, then it, certain events might not make sense. You know, it might not make sense for Draco to be in certain situations on that day. So anyway, it's just, it's just kind of to make sure it's a, it's a continuity check for me that I haven't overlooked something obvious. What the fuck are they doing up there? Sounds like there's a heavy metal concert happening over my head. Um, Anyway, but anyway, so I'm reading this one story, and it has all these random canon details in it, like, as I said, a birthday, or, you know, just just random stuff that wasn't at all relevant to the plot, and I was like, she looked that up and felt like we needed to know. <laughs> that was my first thought. And I see that sometimes in stories where I feel like I'm being taught something. I go, this person prepared a lot. And they want us to know about their preparation. And it's not a bad thing. It's, it's just, it's just, you know, consider that the preparation is almost more for you as the writer than it is for the reader. You're preparing for you to be able to write. You're not preparing to relay this. You're not writing, you know, preparing to relay all this information to somebody else. So... Actually, I'd pr- I think I'd prefer porn. I'd be a little less base. I feel like my whole my like my whole chest is vibrating. Unless um, it was seventies porn. Yeah, that'd be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Um, but let's see. Um, I also have something in my in my timeline. I'm sure you do this too. I have what I call off-screen events in my timeline, um, mm-hmm. because I don't show. I don't want to. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff happening that I don't show on screen. Um, that either I reference happening or I let the audience assume that it happened. Um, but I note in my timeline when those events occur. It's mostly so I can keep track of it. And I think that's really crucial when you're approaching, which we're, I mean, you and I are both approaching, we're, I'm already working on quantum, well, we're both already working on quantum bank, which is a big project, and nano is the next rough trade. So that's a big project. So timelines and timelines are really, I go crazy about timelines. I, I mean, I could talk for two hours about making timelines. I mean, I print out calendars. It's a whole thing. When I'm writing Harry Potter, one of the first things um I did when I created my canon timeline was to mark the full moon for every school mm-hmm. month starting in mm-hmm. third year when it's super important. And if I'm going to have Remus introduced earlier, I need to know when the full moon is. Because I need That's to know right. where he's going to be and if he's going to be dangerous. And, you know, it's it's just really important when you're including a character like that who has a condition that you can't, that he can't control and has to have a potion that you know where he is and um, in, in case you need it. I also do a full class schedule if they're in school, but I do not share that shit on the screen. But it cracks me up when I see writers doing it. I'm like, yeah, great. I really need to know that Harry has potions on Tuesdays and Wednesdays after lunch. Thanks. Appreciate it. We really, really appreciate it. 
<laughs> and and the thing is, they then reference, or they'll put stuff in and then reference it like you're going to remember it. And it's like, I don't remember that thing. I actually didn't read I the first scroll time. up and look at the schedule. But you know what's worse? When they put the schedule in and they don't follow it. I notice that kind of shit. If you're going to put that schedule in, get bitch, you better follow it like it's a religion. I usually don't because notice because I don't read it. Schedule, I just keep scrolling. <laughs> the, what what I will notice is if they are suddenly their time is if is if it's mentioned that it's changed. If it's in the narrative on one day, it's, you know, on Wednesday after lunch they went to post, and the next week Wednesday after lunch they're in Transfiguration. I'm like, oh wait, wait a minute, two chapters ago that block was posted. What's the matter you? Work. But it's a good indication that you do need to know that. Even if you don't need to put it in your narrative, it is something that you should probably keep track of so that you, um, especially in a school setting like Harry Potter, you want to uh, keep them on a, a schedule. Um, well, the fact of the matter is, is that someone is having potions after lunch. Although I could see why you'd want it to be the more If it's not your main brewer. character, it is definitely, um, I'd say probably the older kids would have um, potions after lunch versus, like, say, first or second year. Better constitution. Yeah, I'd probably, if I were making the schedules for the first years, I'd put potions last so that in the day, so that, you know, whoever blows themselves up doesn't <laughs> miss out on the entire day. <laughs> and then the older kids would terrorize the younger kids with that knowledge. You know why they give the firsties the the last slot in potions, right? It's because they don't want you to miss out on all your other classes after you've blown yourself up. <laughs> I would totally say that shit to kids. I would. I'm an asshole. I, that's the kind of shit that I would definitely do. Oh, yeah, I, but I, you I'd, know, this... I'd be this, I'd totally be a sixth year saying that to the firsties. I would do it. No lie. No lies detected. But, yeah, so timelines are super important. Um, And it's important when you're doing a fix-it fix, like Quantum Bang, um, that you not only have an original timeline, but you have a new timeline. So that you... um, It's a matter of continuity. The bigger your project is, the more important it becomes. And if anybody, in terms of resources, if anybody's not familiar with timeanddate.com, you can look, basically create any calendar, any calendar. And you can pick the country, too, so that you can see dates that are relevant. I think it includes, like, public holidays and stuff based on the country you pick. And um, it includes the moon phases on it. It's one of my favorite resources. Yes. So, um because actually, even if you don't have a werewolf in your story, you just got to figure that wizards and, you know, people in the wizarding world, they're going to be more cautious if they're out on the, on the night of the full moon. If, the, if they're not more cautious out on the night of the full moon, they're an idiot. Agreed. Yeah, 
especially in Britain when they're more concerned about punishing them than helping them. You wouldn't want to accidentally become a werewolf. That would be bad juju. And since the government isn't helping them, they, they don't have a place to go. Right, so they you can, are you can out only, and about. You can only hope that they're responsible enough to cage themselves in a place that will actually hold them. Because considering Remus's condition, it was obvious that he didn't have access to potion on a regular basis before he went to Hogwarts to work. There's a fix that would be fun to write. It's just fiction all that werewolf crap in Harry Potter. Hmm. Dude, you already have like six ideas for Quantum Bang. You don't have room for another. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like just too much going on up there. Um, so somebody did ask a question. Um, I mean, the, oh, some, sorry. I mean, when it comes when it comes to preparation for story, um, I actually think when it comes to challenge prepar- challenge story, I, you know, I think the hardest part of the preparation, honestly, is picking the story. Um, I mean, some people I know, I've I have rarely it has happened, but not often that I have zeroed right in on the idea I want. And I just went for it. About the only time that I would, the, the lowest number of I think I ever had was two, and that was going into my very first rough trade. Um, but um, I my pondering over which story to do, I like made the decision to sign up and gave myself like 24 hours to pick a story. And, and that was that, that whole decision was made 24 hours. So there was no, I think the sign up time was almost, it, it, it was almost over. I was standing up near the end of the sign up period. So I was like, oh, I got to make a decision. And then I picked the story. Um, and I only had, there was, I only had two candidates. So, but normally I get a lot of, I have multiple ideas. And so, some of them get weeded out because of length, which leads into the question that was asked. Um, and some of them I just don't ever get fully realized as a plot, or the more I plot them, the less I'm interested in them. That just happens sometimes. It's like I start working out the details, and I go, nah, I'd rather work on something else. Um, but a lot of them, length is one of the biggest reasons that a story will get discarded, an idea will get discarded. Um, that's, it, usually it's, that's too long. I have, I'm trying to think if I've ever said that's too short. <laughs> In my life, mine's always too long. Mine's, mine is always too long. Yeah, and it's not even too long. It's not even that it's too long for. Um, it's not even that it's too long for. Um, like a nano or something where there is no length limit. It's more than I want to tackle. Because sometimes I have an idea and I think, oh, that is great. Kind of noodling on it and working out the plot. And I go, that's going to be 250,000 words. I don't want to do that for nano. I don't want to do that in the next, like, five years, no. Um, So length is the biggest reason that I discard a story. Anyway, so somebody asked, I think Mary asked, um, 
in July, we talked about having too much plot for small stories. Um, I have, I do all right with smaller stories and one shots. I can work within the restrictions. I have a much harder time with longer stories. My question is this, how does the opposite work? How do you know if you have enough plot to fill up 50,000 words? Um, Okay. For me, this comes from experience. Um, And you live and you learn. Uh, when I get my plot document out and I can look at all my plot points, I can say, okay, I can write that scene in 2,000 words. That is 500 words. And then I can add it up. So I know if I'm going into a challenge with 100-plus plot points, I'm looking at 100-plus fic. Um, so if I'm going into nano and I want to hit around 50K, um my goal is to have between 25 and 30 plot points. Yeah, I mean, it's going to go over 50, but it'll give me enough. I won't go, I won't go under is what I'm getting at. Um, uh, and well, I have a I hard think, time staying under a word count than I do going over a word count. And you can always kind of, you know, pad your word count with unnecessary sex. <laughs> I actually, you can, but I actually, I actually really intensely dislike doing that. I would rather pad my stories with unnecessary conversation. <laughs> but that conversation gets conversation gets me in. You know, my toe is clicking. <laughs> Why is it clicking? Oh, honey. That's really alarming. Um, anyway, I'm trying not to be distracted by that very strange sensation when I move my toe. Um, the uh, I it convert the more plot points. It the brain reset. Okay, if subplots matter in fifth, when you have a longer story. How much is if it's if if the plot is super straight line and there's not a lot of stuff going on in the periphery and the number of characters matter, I mean it all feeds in. So for me, it's not just a simple like equation about plot. For me, plot points. It's how many characters are in the story. The more characters, they're all gonna if seemingly if you have them, they're fulfilling a function. Um, characters, subplots, that all start to inflate the word count and. Um, I really get in trouble with talking. So if there's stuff that has to be explained and people need to have like come to Jesus meetings and stuff, that's going to bloat my word count tremendously. So. Hugely. But I agree. I, 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 just, I think normally I would estimate about where you just estimated, which is about two to 3000 words per plot point. So like, okay. If you're a plotter, and you go in, and you and you got your plot, and you're hitting forty-five, fifty plot points. Um, you need to look at your plot points and how you handle them. And uh, a good way to do this would be take one of your other stories, even one of your shorts, and separate it out into plot points, and then do a word count on how much, how much your word economics. Break down your own word economics and, and figure out how much you need, how much room you need in your plot for a single plot point, for a single scene, for an event. 
Um, and it, it will vary. Your events will vary and your timing and your, your, your word economics will vary as well because some things take longer than others. Once you've done that a few times, you'll be able to look at your plot document and say, okay, I've got 50 to 75K here. Um, okay, I've got 122 plot points for my quantum bang. That's going to be 150 to 175 words, 1,000 words, based on my own experience. So you need to look at your own work and figure out what your word economics breaks down to. Like how long does it take you to write an argument? How long does it take you to write a really serious conversation that's really important to your plot? How long is your sex scene? Um, how much room do you need for a subplot? And this is the kind of, of head work you do um, that's really important to your craft, especially if you want to get into um, writing on spec professionally. Um, and writing on spec can be very stressful. And if you tell an editor, you, you give them a a synopsis and you give them the first three chapters of, of a book and you say, I can deliver this in 75K, they fully expect to get 75K. They don't want 50. They don't want 100. They want 75. So it becomes a matter of um, just learning your own. Uh, your own rhythm and your own and your own work economics and we're all different where it would take me a thousand words to write a scene it might take Jilly 750 it might take her 1500 depending on her characters her subplot etc do you see what I mean I hope you do I hope that makes sense but it's important to know what your word economics are where you're how you're framing scenes how you're framing your subplot how you're moving your characters through scenes and how much room you need word count wise to accomplish that. And the longer you do it, the easier it will be. And it will become a very natural process. You you won't even have to think about it. It'll be something that you can just look at it. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. I'm going to need 15 K for this. And then you can say, okay, this idea is way too big for July. (laughs) That's not happening in 15K. I don't know what I was thinking. Julie, did you go somewhere? Um, I was actually looking something up and copying off the questions that we just had okay and losing the chat room again um yeah if you want to know if you've got how to i think there's just something if like you want to get it sometimes i read like we we here and we've done this before like when we have the short story challenge and we read some people's summaries and this is based upon we'll we'll we'll, we'll Go. This like looks like a really interesting idea. We'll talk to each other in like mod chat and go. Well, this is a really interesting idea, but I couldn't deliver that idea in less than you know 50k. I don't know how they're going to do it. 20, um, and that's based upon, you know, what it would take for me, with the way I write, to convey that story. And 
you get a sense of how much plot. Now, sometimes the writer is focused differently than I am, and they can deliver it in 20K, and that's awesome. And sometimes, as predicted, you see like an author note pop up where they say, wow, this is taking much more than I expected. And that's a case of it probably was as much plot as it sounded like just on reading summary. Um, So I think that in terms of figuring out do you have enough plot, um, I don't know. I feel like that there's there's a layer of complexity. And somebody asked about, I think the three the three act structure. How many subplots is reasonable in a three act structure? Um, I would say the longer my stories are, the less I'm in three acts. I would say I go more towards um, what is it five? Is that the normal? Is it is it a five act structure? Um, I. I'm going to confess something um, kind of bizarre. I can't do a five. I have to do a Uh, three or it's a six. (laughs) It's a three or a six. It's it's a, it's a three or a six. I I have issues. I, it's a it's an issue. It's a thing. Um, and a lot of times this is only something that I see. Um, Lady Hunter is so mean to me. Um, but yeah, I have a um, I have a thing. I have a thing. But. Yeah, the five-act dramatic structure, um, there are parts of it that don't exactly work with my writing style, but I will say no. that I do tend to have more. Like, like the, the first act in, 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 in um, dramatic structure is exposition, and I actually cannot stand opening a novel with a bunch of exposition. So, um, but there is sort of a, we'll call it a setup phase in a longer novel that is like that period where it's a little bit flat. It's not really rising. It's like you're setting the stage. So we'll call that stage setting the stage, setting, setting the scene kind of thing, but you're not just setting a scene. You're setting the tone of a whole novel. It's not really rising action. It's kind of flat. And then there's the rising action which for me tends to be the longest part of the story and then the climax. And sometimes there's a little bit, for me, a little bit of dips, like you get some mini climaxes in a longer novel and then it builds to the climax and then you have falling action. And then there's another flat period that in the structure is called something else. What do they call that? Denouement. Um, are those the, I, I get kind of those five, um, that last phase is a little bit off, but for me, but short for definitely for short stories, I tend to go towards the three act structure. Although what happens is when I have too much falling action, which is kind of common for me in short stories, I either have almost none in short stories. It's like the climax. And then I push you off a cliff and then you get like three paragraphs of falling action. 
So either I have almost no falling action or <laughs> I have too much <laughs> and I go into like what's almost like a fourth act. Um, so <laughs> so the, uh, the three act is really not something I would try to employ personally for, for a short story just because it's, it's a little bit, the whole beginning, middle, end thing, it, it's a little bit too, um, the beginning feels bloated in a three-act structure in a long novel to me. Because that beginning, middle, end bit, the first act, second act, third act, you would have, let's say in 125K, that beginning phase would be like 75K, which feels bloated for three acts. And I don't really, and like I said, in a longer novel, I have that period that really would be, I guess, the beginning, and then start rising action. Whereas in a short story, your rising action starts almost right away. So, so no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't personally try to even aim for a three act structure in a short story, in a long story. But, um, yeah. So there, that's kind of that was kind of a convoluted way of answering the question. <laughs> and how many sub how many subplots is reasonable in three acts? One or none? That's my personal opinion. One or none? Because and that's because I only employ the three act structure in a short story, trying to put subplots in into that. It can be very um, detrimental to your word economics. Yeah, so I wouldn't do more than one. I have to answer the question. So back to Mary's question. That was somebody else's question. Um, back to Mary's question about, oh, how many have enough plot to fill up 50,000 words? I think that comes back to what Kira said is it's kind of um, experience. Now, don't have experience with figuring out how much, how many words your story is going to take. Try talking to somebody else and asking them if you, this story, how long do you think this idea is? And if they come back and they go, oh, God, that's 150,000 words, and they get them to explain why and see what they're seeing that you aren't. Or if you show them an idea and you think it's 50K and they say, oh, I could tell that story in 15,000 words, see kind of – it helps to kind of get another perspective. And that's super on topic about preparing for challenge is working with other writers, the people you trust, really, really is super helpful in preparing for challenge. You know, I'll run ideas by the bitches and go, what do you guys think? Is this, and, well, sometimes Lady Holder laughs at me because, you know, she knows that there's no way I'm going to tell that story in 20,000 words. Um, <laughs> what, you do that a lot? You laugh at me a lot? Or you share ideas yeah she laughs at it she laughs at us all a lot she she we we amuse her funny ha ha <laughs> so um but that's and if you don't really get helpful. that reference get off my podcast for fuck's sake get some life experience watch some damn movies yeah, she's she is the reality check on ideas. She's perfectly willing to go. There's no way you could tell that idea in 20k. Are you kidding? Um, 
for fun story, I think I think I said I thought I could tell it in 40 or 50K. This was me being deluded. And I knew I was being deluded, but I just was like, I could cut stuff out. And she comes back, she goes, I think that's like 120,000 words. I was like, shit. Um, I have. I did try to prove her wrong once, and then I just gave in after one post. That was in April. No, was that in April? Yeah, it was in April. In April. That when I was talking about the plot for Leo Moto, she said, there's no way that's 40,000 words. I'm like, yes, I could tell this in 40,000 words. And then I posted one part, and I was like, fuck it, no, I can't tell can't. this. In, I can't. I can't tell this in 40,000 words. And I replotted from the first part. Um, yeah, and then July. God. And she told me on one of my July stories, too, there's no way that's a short story. And I said, no, I can tell it short. I can, t- I can be, I can, you know, use, be, you know, lots of brevity happening. And she's like, ah, ah. But anyway, so ask somebody, what do you think of this? Is this 20,000 word story? Is this a 50,000 word story? And get their perspective and get them to tell you why they think, how, what they, why they would, I went through this with somebody once where they told me one of their ideas and I said, well, I think that would be like a hundred thousand words. And I went through why I thought it'd be a hundred thousand words. And there were some things she hadn't considered that she would have to work through that wasn't really skippable. You couldn't just, you could, either, because you never want to skip something where you have to dump 2000 words of exposition to cover it. You know, if you need more than a paragraph to cover an event, you really need to reevaluate how important that event is. Because um, if you need to like two or three thousand words, three two or three thousand words of just exposition to explain something that you're trying to skip in your story, that's major. Yeah, you have no and business it skipping not, it. Yeah, and it, it, maybe it yeah. shouldn't have been something that was skipped. So, yeah. if if you're if your word economics depend upon exposition, that's not a good trade-off. Anyway, um, if you don't, if whoever you know is interested in trying to work on esti- doing plot estimations, um, I know it'd be difficult for the quantum bang, um, but if it's not a quantum bang thing, you can post it in the in the in the rough in the forum, and I know I'll come and offer to help give you some estimations of what I would think and why. Um, if you're doing quantum bang and you need some help with plot estimation, just reach out to me. You know, I'll help. Like we can talk through it. Uh, but yeah, it's something you just, you just learn how to do. Um, it, <clears throat> I don't want to say it's kind of like, you know, you, something that you unintentionally learn because that's not really what it is because I did spend a lot of time as a young writer um, pulling my work apart and also pulling the work literally of other writers apart. Um, Sometimes I would get two copies of a book at the used bookstore and one of them would be to read and the other one would be literally to tear apart. I know it sounds terrible to tear apart a book, but I I needed to physically take it apart and label the pieces and compare it to what I thought, you know, this is the beginning, this is act one. And I needed to be, I needed to be physical with it when I was younger. And so I would have like two copies of a book, one for my shelf and one to deconstruct so I could see physically what the author had done with her story. 
in learning in, in learning that I kind of um plot structure is kind of like imprinted on my brain. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's a very physical thing that I did when I was young, and I don't know why I started doing it, but it was very helpful to have that tangible representation of another writer's plot. And when I'm having a difficult time with my own work, I will print it out and separate it out into sections um, to figure out where I'm having a problem, where in my structure is it weak. And, you know, laying it out like that is, can be very helpful. Um, so I've been doing that since I was 13. And I think doing it with other people's work can be, um, it's less emotional than doing it with your own. But you have to eventually learn how to look at your own work and label it, what, label its parts. Um, if you have... If if you finish the story and somebody asks you, um, who's the antagonist in your story, you should be able to answer that question. If somebody asks, where's the climax in the story, you should be able to answer. So, um, and I know that sometimes we don't think of it that way, but if you, it, it it's just important to understand what it is you've created, and, I mean. Sometimes I, and the thing is, nobody gets to second guess you about your story, regardless of what their opinion is or their critical interpretation. And so if I'm reading somebody's story, and let's say their climax happens in the first third of the story, it happens kind of in Act One. And I, I'm going to, that's based upon my reading of the story. So if I ask them, where is the climax of your story? And they tell me it's an event in Act 3. I don't actually get to say that's not where your climax is. Unless they ask me for feedback about what the high point of the story was for me. But they, they, it's kind of up to them to determine who their protagonist, the antagonist, where the climax is, all of that kind of stuff. That's Ultimately... Their opinion is the one that matters. But when she thought about it, she agreed with me that the climax, I didn't tell her. I asked her, I said, where's the climax in your story? And when she thought about it, she picked the same event that I did, which was in the first third, which is a pacing problem. Um, It's a structural problem to have the climax occur at the beginning, basically. And she fixed it. She fixed the story structure so that it didn't, not that way. But that's something that you need to be able to look at your story and learn to do is figure out where the narrative parts are. If you're writing in a three-act structure, that you need to be able to pick out what those three acts are. If you're writing in a five-act structure, and you don't have to say, you're, I'm writing in a five-act structure and here are the parts, but if you write something, you should be able to go back and look at it and say, this is how many acts are in this story. This is where the climax is. This is where the falling action begins. You should be able to pick that stuff out or learn to. If you can't do it now, learn to do it. Learn to look at it. Learn to pick it out. In a previous podcast, I talked about the Sentinels of Atlantis and how um, there's an overall arc for the whole series and that my series climax was the queen. I had a reader um, and show listener 
sent me an email, and she, she disagreed with me. She said that my climax was the search, which was the last story in season one. And um, she didn't offer a reason why. She just said that was the climax of my story. And so I, I asked her to explain to me what she thought a climax was. Needless to say, she thought the climax was the resolution. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was like, oh, honey, no, no. <laughs> so I sent her um, that three-act structure um, article that I've been passing around to everybody like it's candy. And I just recently I posted the picture of it in the chat room. And um, I said, you know, but in the future, when a writer tells you what their climax is, you don't get to say otherwise. That's not your position. <laughs> that isn't your choice. <laughs> Whether they yeah. executed it properly or not is, is is another discussion. But, you know. Yeah, if you and if and if somebody ever tells you if you I would never tell someone where their climax is. If they're asking me for help and they have like a pacing problem or a structural problem or whatever and they're asking me for help, well what do you think? What do you think? Where is this going? And if they can't answer then I would give my opinion. And then we could talk about it further. But it's not it's not anybody's job to tell you what your story means, what its high point is. Their experience of it is their experience of it, but they don't get to tell you your intention. So if you're ever working with somebody who says, oh, no, no, your climax is here, or oh, no, 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 you're, the point of your story is not what you're saying, it's this. Nobody gets to tell you that. You are the, the definitive source, the final authority on that. Now, if it's not coming out the way you want it to, that's when a friend who's a writer or a mentor or whatever, somebody who you trust with, get to give you an opinion, to give you feedback, not criticism, but feedback, and say, what's going on here? And you could say, okay, well, you're, in, you're telling me that your intention is that the climax is here in, this, in, the, in the, like the penultimate chapter. You have the, we have the, you're saying the climax is here, but to, to me – it reads like it's elsewhere because this is a higher point than this. And if that feedback is helpful to you to get that perspective, then you can go back and make adjustments. I don't get to tell you that the event that you pick to be the climax of your story isn't the climax. I just get to say, you know, that my experience of the story is that this is a higher point, and then you can figure out how to adjust your pacing or the emotional tone or whatever is going on in the climax of the story to bring it higher in impact. But for me to tell you what the point of your story is or what the climax is or who the main character is or what they're feeling no, that's not that nobody can do that but you. And if anybody is giving you advice and telling you those things, go talk to someone else. 
because they're, it's not their, that's not their job. They are not like some literary professor and you are not the class project. Move on. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the three-act structure for a minute. For those of you who are very married to that, who are very comfortable in the three-act structure, one way you could expand it is if you look at the three-act structure on Twin Creatives that I shared earlier, I'll put a link up so you guys can click on it. Um, I'm going to put a link up in the podcast as well. So there is a link. Um, one of the ways you can expand this for a, a very large project is to tweak the uh, content. Okay, so in Act 1... They give you three chapters. I, if I'm going to use a three-act structure to build a novel, I'm going to make my first act five chapters. And I'm going to boost my inner conflict to at least one inner conflict for each major character. If I've got two or if I've got three, they each get their own little conflict. If I'm writing a romance, there's going to be at least two romantic signposts in the first act based on this thing here. So act three is three more. Now, for me, in act three, I'm thinking about um, my conflicts and my subplots. I'm probably going to give myself six, maybe seven chapters in act three. So that's put you up to 12 chapters-ish. So let's, let's say 12. Um, and if you're building in your subplots, you've got your conflicts coming in, you've got your uh, resolution starting to, to evolve and the relationship starting to build, and your signposts are going to triple, so not double. So, so but they give you two here. I would do five or six and probably throw in some sex. That's definitely a romantic signpost that you'll want to liberally abuse um, if you need it for the word count. It's especially true in the romance genre if you're writing professionally. There's no such thing as gratuitous sex. Um, <laughs> especially in erotica. They, they eat that shit up. Now, for Act 3, I would move myself back down to 5 for pacing. Because for me, in a professional-length novel... My goal is 20 chapters. So I'm going to spread them. So, so that would be, I'd only be 17. Um, see, this is where I end up adding another act. Because I like to have 20 chapters in a, in a full-length novel that I'm writing professionally. That's my goal, 20. Um, I think, you know, looking at it in the three-act structure, I would put most of my chapters in the middle. And I would bookend mm-hmm. Act 1 and Act 3 with an even number of chapters. So if I'm going to do 20 chapters, 18 or 20, put the bulk of your chapters in your act two. So say you do five chapters in act one and you do five chapters in act three. That leaves you eight to ten chapters to put in act two. That's where you're going to do all your building, all of your major events, um, 
and near the end of, say, chapter 18 of a perfect, you know, if you're structuring for a professional novel, you're, you're going to want looking at your climax around eight, 17 or 18, depending. And you might have more than one resolution coming your way. You got to have your conflicts coming your way if you have a protagonist, and then the romantic subplot. There are all these resolutions coming in in Act Three, so you can easily get five chapters out of that, which which would give you twenty. And if you're doing five to six thousand words per chapter, and I'm gonna actually this is terrible, but um, I'm gonna actually um. If you do six thousand, that's a hundred and twenty k. That's a little heavy for a professional mm-hmm. work, but reasonable for fan fiction. <laughs> I think in I think the average number, the average word count per chapter across in fiction, when they kind of just did a, a did like an average chapter count, it's like forty five hundred words or something like that, um, which is kind of why that kind of rule of which thumb thing about five thousand words per 000. chapter. Yeah. Which so, but if you kind of go with the average, 45,000, 4,500 words per chapter would, yeah, would take you to 90,000 words, which is a, a long novel if, for, for pro work. Right, because but, the average commercial is 75. Expl- yeah, in trade, it's 75. Um, in, um, like, those Harlequins, it's about 50. Um so it just depends. Yeah. So I would say it's not uncommon to see a ten, a ten chapter novel, especially like a trade paperback kind of thing, where your mm-hmm. average it's still still hitting that forty five hundred to five thousand word average, um, and it's coming in right around fifty to sixty thousand words, and and then in that case you're probably doing if you're doing three acts you probably do um, three three and three on the op- on the ends and four in the middle. Right. If I were so, trying to put myself into a three-act structure, my middle would be, just what Kira said, it would be enormous. It would be, I could, 20 chapters is also very comfortable for me, but that would be 5, 5, and 10 in the middle. Yeah. And that's a good way also to estimate your word count. If you go in plotting your word count, your your book by, your story by chapter, and you say, okay, each of my chapters is going to be at least 4,500 words. That's my goal for each chapter. Don't look at your overall goal when you're writing. This is my chapter one. I need 4,500. That's my goal. So if you do, if you're going into Nano, and our goal is 50,000 words divided by 4,500, that is 11 chapters. Write 12 for Nano. <laughs> that will give you a little over 50K. If and actually, a pro, so, uh, if, if, you're, if you're somebody who writes a prologue, a prologue in 10 chapters is a completely reasonable novel structure. Right. Now, I use a prologue between, between two and 3,000 words. Yeah. If you do a two to three thousand word prologue and then you can do five thousand word chapters, you've come out to fifty you come out to fifty K. Actually it'll be more than fifty K. It'd be fifty three K. Fifty two to fifty three K. And that's you know, that's a really 
really good way to estimate your word count, or at least to plan your word count. If you go in with your your 10 chapters planned out in your three-act structure, um, and like I said, you know, if you look at the three-act structure, they give you three, three, and three as far as chapters go. If you add a, four, a fourth chapter in your act two, that takes you to 10 chapters. And if you add, um, and if you can do 5K in each chapter, you've got 50K. So that's a very, you know, that's a good way to uh, to to plan your word count. If you go over, great. If you hit 10K, maybe maybe you didn't, um, <laughs> maybe you have a lot more than 50K. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're looking if you're looking for answers to how to do something or what should you do or da 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 um, looking to sort of the standards of of professional of of professionally published fiction is a good way to go. You have room to do it more or less or you have room to do other stuff in fan fiction that you wouldn't have in an original novel. But it's not a bad structure to start with. And then you can, because I see people just, it's great that fan fiction can kind of ignore some of the quote unquote rules, but people take it to ridiculous degrees. Somebody was, I saw a question in a writer's group, please hear the air quotes there, um, about is is anything too long for a chapter? Is there, you know, chapter is too long. And People were saying, no, you should just keep writing the chapter until it's finished. And people were giving examples of like 30, 35,000 word chapters. I'm telling you, this only happens in fan fiction, folks. And if it only happens in fan fiction, it might not be great craft. Because no publisher is going to allow you to write a 35,000 word chapter. They're not going to even allow you to write an 18,000 word chapter. I mean, just no. It's just crazy cakes. So if your inclination is to write a 20,000-word chapter, it's not a chapter. Honestly, it it's a short story. Yeah. You gotta, it's, that's just – if you can't that, – if that, you cannot break that up. I mean, there have been – I think the longest chapter I've ever written is a little over 8,000 words. And I should have, in retrospect, probably broken it up into two chapters, a part one and a part two of the same plot point. I mean, usually a chapter is its own mini part of the story. Like, you know, you're getting through a plot point. You're getting through, you know, a scene. There's, there's an arc each chapter has. And there are times when a plot point or this one thing, this one element takes 5, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 words. And if that element is that big, you need to figure out where it's going to get broken up and what, how to break it up. How to break up a big element is something that writers need to learn to do because you have to have each chapter needs a rhythm. So you don't want to just keep ending on cliffhangers five times in a row. You want to have – Please don't do that. Yeah, please don't. If you have like one thing that I can write that can drag on is court scenes. So if you've got a really long court scene – you and I love I love writing and I love reading it. If you need five chapters for your court scene, I'm with you. Go. But you know, you need to have a high point in the chapter, a recess. And you get one cliffhanger. That's just I'm just telling you, you get one cliffhanger in those five chapters you're gonna write about that court scene court scene. But 
each each chapter needs a rhythm. So that you want the reader to want to turn the page, but they also need to feel like the chapter came to a conclusion. And how to break that up is something that writers can learn to do. And just using the excuse of, um, well, my ch- I have this plot point, and I'm just going to keep going on this chapter till it's done. So some of my chapters, and literally, this is a quote, some of my chapters are 2,000 words and some are 30,000 words. Well, no, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, the thing is, is that a 30,000-word chapter destroys your pace. Yeah. Pace is in the more same, than the words you use. In the same story. They were saying that in the same story, they have chapters as small as 2,000 words and as big as 30. I can't, I can't, I can't even. I, if I saw that, if I was like following a story and they were consistently two or 3,000 words, and then I got a 30,000-word chapter, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't even click on it. Fuck that, no. That's going to be better. When you're constructing the pace of your story, lots of things, physical things, come into play. Um, The amount of dialogue space, the amount of white space you have on your page, um, the amount of exposition that you use, the length of your sentences, the length of your paragraphs, and the length of your chapters. The longer your chapter is, the slower your pace will be. If you want to slow your pace down, the best way to do that is with longer sentences, longer paragraphs, and longer chapters. But going, honestly, I got a 7,000-word chapter past an editor once, but she wasn't happy. She was really unhappy. She, she didn't want to allow it. But it was the only one in the novel, and it was um, part, it, it was honestly, it was it was my climax, and she agreed that breaking it up was that would destroy the pace of the story, but she wasn't thrilled with the length. So like Julie said, you get a lot of leeway in, in fandom and that's really great, but it can also um, give you really terrible, terrible craft habits. Um, And, one thing I try to avoid is that I try to avoid that. And one of the reasons why I write in episode format is so that I don't ever get comfortable writing a 500,000 word novel. Yeah. Because that would destroy me as a writer. I believe, I I believe that that kind of comfort is um, detrimental to your craft. Um, which is why Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is told in episode format, which is why Sentinels of Atlantis is told in episode format. Um, and But they're, they're basically short stories or novellas because um, well, there's a couple reasons for that. One, I, I like to post completed works. And two, um, structurally, I don't want to damage myself as a writer. And you can very seriously damage yourself as a writer if you allow yourself to develop bad habits like writing a 30K chapter, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous and not actually a tra- chapter. It's a fucking novella. And even if you apply a five- or six-act structure to a 500,000-word novel, you're, you're, the only way to do that is to give yourself bad habits. You're going to have something is 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 wonky in there so you know i my longest is 210 and and i one of the things that was my first project 
it is, and I know it should be two stories and actually probably three. If I'm ever feeling like I'm really kind of in a kind of masochistic editing phase and I don't have anything else to do, I would probably edit that into three books. Um, well, one of the ways you can handle that kind of thing, many a year ago in the publishing in world, um, there were books that were told in parts. Um, and that the parts would be a three-act structure. There'd be a part one, a part two, and a part three. And when it, and within part one, there would be an act one, an act two, and an act three. <laughs> and then part two yeah. would be an act one, an act two, and an act three. Um, and that was a way of, of telling a very big epic story, but keeping the structure of a novel. And you look at stories like um, War and Peace. Uh um, I think even the Grapes of Wrath is told in um, in a three part structure. Well, Lord of the Rings, which is which is Lord of the Rings is told in a three part structure, and it is it is legitimate. It is a perfectly reasonable thing to do, um, and it and it honors the 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 structure, um, the three act structure to tell parts. And a lot of times when I am writing short stories, I will tell it in three parts. Um. To keep my three act structure, but you could take that three part structure that the, the the three acts, and you could turn it into a very large three part novel, and still honor the structure that um, makes a good novel. But that's a big hefty commitment, and that requires a lot of work before you get started. There's a, lot, there's a lot of continuity to think about because you're not only, you know, take it, take it series Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is told in five parts, five seasons. Each season has its own arc, its own storytelling arc. And the five parts come together from beginning to end. And if you put the movies in, it gets a little big. But if you look at the structure of Babylon 5, it is one big story told in five parts. And each part has, I don't know, 20 episodes, let's say. I, I, th- I think it could be more, but we're just, we're just going to say 20. So Michael structured his uh, his story over five parts five seasons, each episode tells a part of his story. Each season tells a part of his story. And you got to watch the whole damn thing to get the whole story. It's a beautiful piece of storytelling. It is, the structure is stunning. And it would take him 25 books to tell that story. (laughs) Maybe even 30, to be perfectly honest. A three-part epic isn't quite the same thing as a three-part... There's a three-act novel, but I would never say a three-part novel. A three-act. Because a part is usually a beginning, a middle, and an end all on its own. It's a a three-act on its own. Um, But episode series, um, I have to focus my episodes on a single event. 
Yeah, and I would say that ep- that episodes um, episodes tend to focus on. Well, I think of episodes. I mean, when I think of episodes, I go to TV show. Like it doesn't matter what the fan fiction medium is, I go to TV shows. So you're seeing basically the same cast of characters, and you can have a large episodes allows you to have a large ensemble cast and shift the focus per episode if needed and mm-hmm. carry threads through. Whereas when you're taking an epic and breaking it up, like let's take the Lord of the Rings as an example, um, Fellowship of the Rings is not an episode, right? It is a complete, it is a full novel on its own, but it is a part of a larger arc, but it's telling one big story, one big epic story. Now, if I were doing episodes, I don't think if I were doing something episodic, I'm not sure that I would ever do anything that was just three episodes. If all I had was three episodes in mind, I would probably write those all together. Also because I tend to would want to keep episodes on the shorter side. If I only had three, that's like a novel. I think that's the way I would structure it. So maybe mm-hmm. five is one. If I had five, five, you know, acts, you know, acts to tell, five pieces to tell, at least five, then I might go to episodes. Um, but for I me, think, an yeah, episode just... is an event and ramifications. Yeah. And each episode builds. Yeah. And the thing you can do with episodes that you couldn't really do in like a series of novellas or a uh, um, um, or like an epic told in multiple novels. The thing you can do with episodes is you can have episodes that what we they call them the X-Files land monster of the week, right? You can just do something that is purely entertaining that doesn't further the overall plot. It's just there. You can just it's something you can do diff, it's something very different and unique to the episode format that's unique to TV, right? That's why when you mimic that structure you can do some stuff that you can't really do in a, a, any kind of novel format. So if, like, you know, if, if you were doing, like, in Sentinels of Atlantis, she, could, she, can, she can throw stuff. I mean, yes, it furthers the character development, but Kira could throw in, like, some, you know, random thing happening on the dinosaur planet, and it could be just to tell some little story that isn't necessarily relevant to... Um, the Sentinels of Atlantis plot arc. Does that make sense? I may have used a terrible example. Well, well, there is actually a Monster of a Week episode in Sentinels of Atlantis, and it is the episode where the Wraith um, comes up out of hibernation and enters the city, and John does a a semi-feral sprint through the city, and Nice him in the head. It has that great um, art with it. Yeah, and um, it is uh, it is a monster of the week episode. Now, if that scene had taken place in a novel, it is dynamic enough that I would have had to follow that scene through the rest of my book. It would have had to come up more than once. John's response. Uh, 
the keeping of the knife, the knife being put on the gate to honor Ronan's custom from his people. Um, these are all elements that would, that would have had to have resonated through the, my whole book. But because it was just a Monster of the Week episode in Sentinels of Atlantis, I didn't have to carry that any further than I did in that episode. It served its purpose. The knife thing will come up again, but it served its purpose. And I moved on. You got to see John kick somebody's ass. Uh, there was a feral thing, and there was a knife, and John was really pleased with himself. But it didn't have an immense impact on the overall arc of the series. But if it had taken place in a book, it would have had to have been a much bigger event than it was in that short episode. Yeah, you'd have had to you'd have had to take that into a full on subplot. Right. So that's the that's the beauty of having an episode series that you can have little events like this that don't have to resonate throughout your whole series. Whereas in the I mean, book that would it would be, have to. Otherwise it would be just I mean, extraneous and serve no purpose. Right. And writers have that all the time in 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 books is they have scenes that they probably loved that don't serve the plot and their editor redlines them and it's heartbreaking. But when you're writing an episode format, you don't, your rules are different because the episode, it's beginning, middle and end is this extraneous thing that doesn't serve the overall plot. So it's great because you get to, you get to do something with that thing that wouldn't serve and that you wouldn't be able to use in a novel. Um, and episodes, you can play with POVs, you can play with writing styles. The writing style in in The Queen, I keep coming back to it because it is my favorite episode in SOA, um, is very different than the writing than, than the writing in The Sentinel, um, which is the episode where Dean Bates comes online, um, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Um, this is both episodes where, they, where people are coming online, and Miko's... Um, both Miko and Dean come online in very traumatic experiences, basically. Um, but the emotional content is very different, and that makes a difference. And it sets the tone, and it's it's just it's great. It is. Um, I think that my favorite Sentinels of Atlantis episode is the one where Dean comes online. That's the Sentinel. That's I my believe. favorite. That's my favorite episode. I mean, there. I actually have. I mean, I have a lot of episodes I really enjoy, but that one. I don't know why that one really just. I, it was so vivid for me. Like I just saw it so vividly that, um, and I really liked the chemistry uh, between him and his guide. So it just. I just. I just. I don't know. That's my favorite. I really like Dean as a character in Sentinels of Atlantis. Um, I don't always treat um, Dean's character well. Um, So when I decided to make him a Sentinel, an uh, an unexpected Sentinel, I was really... um, It's it's like he's just been reluctantly dragged into this situation the whole time. And he knows it's coming and he can't stop it. Um, And it's called The Sentinel. It's episode 13. Um... And the Queen's episode 17. Um, but Dean's coming online is um, basically the worst case scenario. 
his guy's been taken from him, and they're going to kill him. And it's just like, you know? Yeah, it's just so good. Dean is one of those characters you can go either way with. Um, Because I think in in canon, his intentions were good, but the way it came out was really annoying. So it's easy to kind of twist that and make it work for your story where he's uh, positive or where he's more of an antagonist. So, you know. He was an ass, but he was also doing his job. So Yeah, I agree. Um, Someone asked me once why the search is fifty K when the rest of my when my it, it's it's obviously a novel when the rest of the episodes were um episodes. Um the reason is is that the search was written for Nano. And I had um I had the plots for uh six or seven episodes for Sentinels of Atlantis, and I was going to end on a, it was going to end on chapter, it was going to end on episode 26, and I couldn't stand it, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it, you guys, and I couldn't figure out how to merge 25 and 26, so I would have 25, so I was like, fuck it, I just put them all together, and I did one episode 20, and I wrote it for Nano, and that's why. (laughs) Consider it my three-part season finale. (laughs) <laughs> so that's why I I have I have issues. I couldn't have twenty six episodes. It, it would have drove me nuts. So Ellie asked a question about why Tony was requisitioning swords in Primus. Um, I've actually never had anybody ask me about that. That's a bit of foreshadowing. I don't mind giving the spoiler, but if anybody cares about spoilers, stick your fingers in your ears for a minute. Um, why he was requis- requisitioning swords is because he's been having visions of the race, and one of the things he's been seeing is his sentinel um, cutting their heads off with a sword and their arms um, to protect, stop them from feeding. And the reason he was getting those visions was because um, it is a very um, effective battle because sentinels prefer um, up-close combat. And cutting off their arms is a a strategy that they need to be employing out there. So he just started requisitioning swords to take to Atlantis because there are going to be more sentinels showing up. primal sentinels are going to primarily battle on the field of swords. So that's why it was led to the visions he was getting of, well, not visions, but the dreams he'd been having that are discussed very briefly. The dreams are only discussed very briefly at the beginning of Primus. And um, that's why he's requisitioning swords. It's because they're going to serve a purpose. So he takes them all with him. And one of the things he's going to give his sentinel is a sword. And Ronan already has one, but he still takes him one as a present. Yay, I'm so excited. Um, okay, we did have one other topic that came up earlier in the chat that we did not address. Um, and we've got about, where's my fucking, our, our, our writing. Um, we got half an hour left, so let's talk about that. And um, I believe it was Demad 
asked about mm-hmm. writer's block. Um, and uh, this is going to be uh, weird. So let me, um, I don't get writer's block. Um, there are times when I don't want to write. But there are no times when I can't write. And sometimes I'll call my lack of desire to write block, but it's not really writer's block. Because, yeah, I, yeah, there are topics I don't want to write. I had a problem um, in, um, in NaNo um, a couple of years ago where I thought I could write uh, an alpha um, omega fic, and I found out that I couldn't. Um, but I still wrote during that month. I just didn't write that story. In fact, I wrote 120K that month. It just wasn't on that story on the site. (laughs) So, but it's because I'm a plotter um, and I do plan, I do have lots of things, you know, on the back burner that I can play with and write on. Um, When I don't write, it's because I don't want to. But when you write professionally, you don't have days where you can just say you're blocked and not write. When you are scheduled to turn in a book in 35 days and you got to write 20K before then and then do your editing, so you got to write, you got to sit your butt down and write. You don't get a choice. There's, there, there's no choice because you've already cashed the check. <laughs> so yeah. I can write crap too, but I can still be writing. <laughs> Because you can edit crap. You can't edit nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and I think that the – my experience is a little bit different, but then it's oddly ultimately the same. Um, I got what I call really bad writer's block for about two years. Um, and uh, a nightmare. And I hope, this, I hope that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't upset anybody what I'm about to say. But what happened was I was writing – I get very open emotionally when I'm writing fiction. Now, when I'm writing, now this, I I did technical writing in that two-year period, so I'm specifically talking about fiction, um, and especially during that time period in my life, I was writing stuff that was very intimate emotionally, and um, writing really opens me up. I mean, when, when there, my writing makes me cry sometimes. Sometimes when something is happening with my characters that's really um, really gets to me, I get really I can get teary. Uh, not often. I I would say my readers cry at scenes more than I do. There have been times, re- like I've heard from people, that they have cried about something, and I go, huh, okay, I, I didn't think that was that emotional. But I do try to be – it's not just try. It's just the way I usually am. I actually am usually very open emotionally when I'm writing. So my emotional state can affect how my writing is coming out. So I have to sometimes, if I'm not in a good place, I have to judiciously pick what projects I'm working on because I don't want to, like, kill off all my characters because I'm in a bad mood, you know. So it's just, like, pick the right thing. But after 9-11, I couldn't write for two years. I got so emotionally messed up, and I felt so like in, unsafe in the world and like my whole like foundation of safety felt challenged and I just wasn't prepared. I couldn't get to that place of where I could open myself up to write fiction again. 
And I, I called that time period writer's block. Um, and now, years later, and having gone through some different experiences, I would have challenged the me of then to try something different, to not try writing the same things that were hurting me so badly, um, to not write because I was writing very angsty stuff back then, and I I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to tap into those emotions. I didn't want to get into that, and I would. I would, I would challenge myself to try something different. And ultimately what I did is I talked to a friend who was kind of a mentor about the fact that it was killing me that I didn't, I couldn't write. And that's the way I phrase it is I can't write because I felt like I was, I mean, I called it writer's block, but I said, I can't write. I sit down and nothing happens. And what was really going on was that I didn't want anything to happen because I did not want to be open emotionally at that point. So I, um, she and another friend came over and we decided to write something very porny and also fairly lighthearted. It was supposed to be kind of funny. Um, but we each picked a character. We decided, we defined what the characters were in advance. The three of us defined the characters. And then every decision in that it was so absurd. Every decision was determined by either dice roll or pick of a card. So, oh God, I'm, 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 Oh God. It was, <laughs> It was, so this is the way it went. We had, we had like, we were writing a BDSM story. So lighthearted BDSM, but whatever, just go with it. Um, we had a dom and a sub, and then they were having a visitor who was going to be like an, invited into their, you know, to have sex with them for the weekend or whatever. So that was a scenario. So the, the die role determined which one of us was writing the dom, which one was writing the sub, and which one was writing the guest. And we used die roll to determine if it was first person or third person, if it was past tense or present tense. I mean, we, everything was left to chance. And it got, it got, it was actually, the story actually wound up being a lot better than I would have ever expected something like that could possibly be. But it was also absurd and funny. And you never knew what would happen is, we were all together. We were writing at the same time within a whole day doing this. We devoted one day to doing this. And we, we, we set, a, we set time that we eat one person would take over the keyboard and write the next bit. And then the other two would crowd in and read it. And then whoever was most inspired to, to go would be like, you know, move, move, move. I got to write. And, by the end of it, I was fighting to be at the keyboard, and I then I was writing again from that point. Um, I you know every tried to write um, or do something with writing almost every day from that point, and and what I learned from that is that when I sit down to work on something and nothing happened, nothing is happening. Um, if I, I need to kind of challenge myself on why and try to figure out what's going on. Is there a problem with the plot? Have I not figured something out? Cause sometimes your sub your subconscious brain is figuring shit out that maybe you consciously aren't, aren't there yet. Um, is there a problem? Is this not the story you should be where I should be working on right now? Is this really wrong for my mood? I mean, writer's block is not, it's not something I would 
I would challenge it at this point in my life. I would push on that what felt like a block. Does any of that make sense? For me, it, it, it makes perfect sense. For me, one of the things, and when I was younger, I would, um, I would just wallow in the idea that I had writer's block. And the older I got, the more uninclined I was, disinclined. Is that uninclined? Don't even. Disinclined. To um, to allow myself to do that because I had responsibilities um, that I had to to, to get to. Um, it was very stressful. It was a very stressful time in my life, and one of the reasons why I'm semi-retired is professionally is because it was just too much stress. It was killing me. Um, I had an ulcer, migraines. I mean, it was unreal. But anyways, um, one of the things that I have given myself permission to do, um, especially in, when it comes to fan fiction, is I give myself permission to have as many works in progress as I need. If I can't work on Small Magic today, I've got 120 other projects to pick from. And if none of them are working, I can open up a blank document and plot something new. I can get my notebook out and thumb through my ideas and pick a new plot and start writing it because that's my shit and I can do what I want. And giving people permission to not work on one thing and work on something else is very freeing. Mm-hmm. But I you always need to keep in mind to... if you if you've committed to doing a big bang or you got rough trade going on. Um but with discipline like like I'm on a diet. Yesterday, I had a cheat day. <laughs> Yesterday, I had a giant Cinnabon cinnamon roll. <laughs> it was 800 calories. And I put it in my fitness pal like it was a banana. <laughs> like, boom. <laughs> I didn't even hesitate. <laughs> and you ever use my fitness pal, it will tell you at the end of the day, how much um, weight you could expect to lose in, in five weeks. Well, since I exceeded my calories for the day yesterday during my cheat day, it, it did not tell me how much weight I could expect to lose <laughs> in five weeks. It's just, it's just, it's quietly judging you. And you're like, yeah, I know. It's, yeah, there was nothing, nothing quiet about it. But that was my cheat day. So, get, Give yourself to discipline as a writer. It's like, I'm going to write these three hours every day. Um, but also give yourself a cheat day. If, if you can't write on the project you need to be writing on, pick something else up to keep your juices flowing. Yeah, I have give yourself up other projects to play. To play. Yeah, I picked up other projects during, during Nano or during any Rough Trade Challenge and worked on them when I needed to focus. Because sometimes you just need something else to focus on. And if there's something off with your story like you've got a continuity problem or something that's kind of teasing the back of your brain but you haven't quite zeroed in on it yet sometimes focusing on something else will help that come into focus that's why we tend to remember stuff or we think of things we get our inspiration when we're in the shower or when we're driving in the car it's because our focus has changed and we're not thinking so hard sometimes refocusing is the best thing you can do um and there's something about um, 
there's something about when it's, when I see an author say that I'm not going to work on anything until Project Blah that is making me miserable is kind of wince a little bit. And I mean, if it works for them, it that's great. But I would say 90% of the time, three months later, they haven't gotten anything written because there's something about this project is making them miserable, and yet they're continuing to keep saying I'm not going to work on anything else. Um, I I so agree with give yourself permission. I mean, even if it's not, because you've got to stop thinking about everything you write as being something that either has to be published or submitted or whatever. Writing is for you. So if every story you start becomes something you have to finish, I could see that having a bunch of works in progress could be really stressful. But don't think of it that way. You need to kind of train yourself to not – these are not – everything you put down on paper aren't necessarily stories that need to be finished. They're ideas you need to express. And if you got to the, that idea out, even if it's not done, and you move on to something else, then it served its purpose. There was a day about – it was sometime during this challenge, I think, where I, I was – I had too many things I wanted to write. I had I was having an attention span problem. I couldn't focus on anything. <laughs> I had I had six stories open and I was actively writing on all six of them for like two minutes at a time. Day. Yeah, for like two minutes at a time, I'd work on it and then I'd move on to something else because I was having such a hard time focusing. But I had set that time aside for writing and I wanted to write. And I had so many ideas I wanted to get out and I'd get like two minutes here and two minutes there and five minutes there. And it was a little bit insane, but I would have rather done that than be stalled out because I was having a concentration problem. So I just, I've been there with writer's block for a variety of reasons or what I call writer's block. If I have a story well planned out and I sit down to the page, and it's just there's nothing there. I would try. I mean, I would find, I would have a step, a, a list of things I would try to see what was going on with me. Because if it was something with a story, that can be worked out. But you're going to have to kind of push at it to see and test its edges, get some feedback from somebody else. Because maybe you're walking into a giant plot hole from your first scene and you just haven't seen it yet, you know, and you need another person's perspective. Or maybe you're just in a really shitty mood and you've plotted a romance and what you really want to do is like, you know, write a spree Murder a whole bunch of people. Oh, yeah. So, you know, challenge, challenge that block to t- kind of poke at it, test its edges, figure out where, what's causing it. Because it's not really, you know, I don't know. I, I find that I'm never truly blocked. Like Kira said, when I was, when I had struggled with that really long period of writer's block, what I called writer's block, and I, it wasn't a case of where I was blocked. It was a case of where I didn't want to open myself up emotionally. And I know that m- writing is an emotional experience for me. So I didn't want to do it. So I wasn't truly blocked. I was calling it a block, but I didn't just didn't want to. Um, and I have had that conversation with me. So I've tried to write on this story 
and I just can't get going on it. And when we really dig into what she's writing, it was like because she had a plot hole. Her concept had an enormous, just her for just from the jump, there was a, a concept, and she she was sensing it, but she just hadn't hadn't quite zeroed in on it. So, and the more you read and the more you write, the more you're inclined to do that kind of thing. Have that subconscious stall in the back of your mind saying something's not right here, and that's when it really is really helpful to have a an, an alpha reader go over your plot. And I think that happens Get, honestly more to plotters than it does pantsers. Uh, I know a couple of pantsers it happens to, and it's because it, be, it usually I think plotters a lot of times will zero in on the issue. Um, usually in their plotting process. If they haven't found the issue in their plotting process, they will really stall out. They'll be like frozen, like I don't know why I'm frozen. But pantsers sometimes, it's like they're kind of trying to go, what I see it manifested is kind of wishy-washiness. It's like, well, I can't figure out where to start. And it's like, well, what are you trying to do? And it'll tell me, I go, but that's a plot hole. <laughs> why would you want to do that? So it's like they sense it, but it's like sensed it in a different way. But then, um, you know, if you have a really experienced planner, um, pots, blah, 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 a very experienced planner, someone who's been writing for decades, a lot of times um, in their writing process, they will actually resolve those conflicts as they write and yeah. not even recognize that they had a problem to begin with. And that comes with experience. And the only way you get experience is to write, 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 write every single day. And also, beyond giving yourself permission to write on stuff that's not necessarily on your plan, also have give yourself permission to write something that no one else will ever see. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of things on my hard drive that no one will ever see. They're not for anybody else. They're not for publication. They're not for fan fiction. They're just mine. Um, and sometimes it's like I'm just getting things out of my head that don't really work anywhere. Sometimes it's just scenes here and there um, or conversation I need to have with my character, <laughs> so to speak, you know, where my two characters are talking to each other that serves no other purpose. Like I have a conversation from what might have been when I was writing between Jennifer Keller and Rodney McKay that served absolutely no plot purpose, but I needed to kind of work out their interaction behind the scenes um, for another scene that took place in what might've been. So I needed to know what their rhythm was. And I have stuff like that all over my hard drive that is not for public consumption. Mm-hmm. So give yourself permission to do that as well. Most of my stories um, even some of the short ones, but definitely anything that's long, there's a deleted scenes file that is stuff either that never was intended to go on the story, which so it's really not deleted, or it's stuff that I wrote, and then I, I don't delete stuff that I write for the most part. It's rare that I fully purge something. Like, I go, that is so bad, it needs to be erased from existence. Usually if I write something, um, and I, if I decide it's a bad idea, I... Um, take it out, move it into the deleted scenes file, move on. And there's some stuff that is written just strictly like what Kira said to help me get the feel of something. Um, 
I even saved my, like that 2,500 word ode to furniture that I wrote into one story for no fucking reason. I'm like, <laughs> why, am I, why am I talking about office furniture for 2,000 words? I don't get it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of, and that's another kind of, um, I, that was a little bit, another kind of, um, sort of a writer's block in a way. Um, and it's one of the things I actually will sometimes do when I'm feeling a little bit blocked is to just write anyway. Um, and that was a case of where somebody I was close to had, had just died. And I, my writing gets very pedantic when I'm upset. So me writing about furniture for 2,500 words is pretty much on par for the way I am when I write when I'm upset. I, I don't either that or it gets really violent. <laughs> it's kind of a toss-up. Either I write incredibly irrelevant, detailed crap, or it gets a lot of people die. And there's just really no telling what which way it's going to go when I'm upset. Um, and so I, when I have that, like, why am I writing about furniture? I'm like, oh well, I'm upset. I know exactly why I'm writing about furniture. And then I go and I delete the scene and I put it, take it out, and move on with. Life. I have an out. Um, I have an outtakes file that I use the same thing for to pull this out, pull that out. Doesn't need this here. Um, I keep it because I might need it. But yeah, because you might, I you might see, make your I friends laugh sometime. <laughs> Look what I wrote. <laughs> but if you're if you're feeling blocked and you try to write anyway and it's not good, that's okay. Give yourself permission. To not be great all the time. If you don't like what you wrote, because none of us are. Because honestly, you'll break through the block, and I'm using my little air quotes here that nobody can see. You'll break through the block faster, whatever's bothering you, if you write anyway. And let it be whatever it is. It might be great, and you think it's awful, but you find out later it was great. It might just, just be crap. You never know what's going to be, but whatever it is, just give it permission to just be. Give yourself permission to not be good. Give yourself permission to write something that doesn't serve your story. Because and it's something that will never appear back. anywhere but you. That no one else will ever see. And you'll get through it faster because the longer you stay in that blocked state and the longer you in that mode, the more it's a habit not to write. And writing should be your daily habit. See, Matt, I gave that office furniture all the love. <laughs> all the love. It was practically a hand job. Well, the way the scene started was Tony sat down in this chair, and it was very small. And he's a big guy, right? So, and he's like, his knees are kind of a little bit too high, and it's kind of pressing in on his hips. And he's like, "What's with this tiny chair?" And that's, and I, so I started the with him sitting in a chair that was too small, which probably was reflective of my emotional state at the time. And then there's this whole conversation that ensues about office furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so bizarre because it was so pointless. 
<laughs> and it was in your uh, your descendant fit, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you ask yourself, what conversation could be least relevant to a medium? <laughs> Office furniture. <laughs> Um, I mean, I even got into how chairs are requisitioned in the Nexus, and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> She's over on Office Depot looking up chairs. But, you know, it's just, you I didn't think deny that. that. Things... Oh, my God, did you actually go to Office Depot and look at chairs? No, it was Staples, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> I might need to look crap up. I was researching how fast <laughs> elevators are in high rises the other day. There's just, you know. <laughs> you know if I'll be straight. I'll be totally honest here. Not everything I write is a gem, okay? I know that. <laughs> Some of you are probably nodding along going, yeah, I know, because you may not like my work, but whatever, shut up. But... <laughs> Our ass. You know, I'm okay, I'm okay with the fact that not everything I write is great or perfect. I would rather write it. I mean, it's that what it's like the writing quote that is like made for me is that you can you can edit a bad page, you cannot edit a blank one. Did we kill who? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, I'm just, I was really amused. Sorry. Um, just tickled me. <laughs> Did you download pictures? Because I would have. <laughs> I have I may have, got, I may have gotten a screenshot or two. <laughs> hey, office chairs are serious business. <laughs> they are. Do you have any idea how many have been through in the last five years? Man, yeah. I had to go to the store and like play Goldilocks to get my last one because I was just suffering. But um, but I, I I worry about authors. You know, there are people I know who just love to write, and it's like everything is in the way of writing. And writer's block can be a very serious perception of what's going on with you. Um, and so I would just challenge if you're struggling with that to to poke at it as much as you can. What is going on? Because you need to figure out, you need to define it. There's multiple things that get between me and writing, and they have different remedies. And most of them, most of the remedies are writing anyway. But sometimes it's changing projects. Sometimes it's getting help with figuring out where where I screwed up. I mean, very few of my remedies for what I perceive to be writer's block involve not writing. Well, but sometimes you know, it is. Actually, you're a... Go ahead. Say is, is that to change the language, instead of calling it writer's block, instead of asking yourself why you're blocked, ask yourself why you're not motivated. Because it is a matter of motivation. Ask yourself why you're not inspired. Take the word block out of your vocabulary when it comes to your writing. 
Because I think it's a very, um, it's an ugly stumbling block for a lot of people. So stop using it. Ask yourself, what motivates me? What inspires me? What's missing? Am I physically uncomfortable? Am I emotionally uncomfortable? Am I mentally uncomfortable? Has something happened? What is interfering with my motivation and inspiration? And taking the word block out of your vocabulary, I, I think is very helpful. Because when I decided that writer's block no longer existed, I had to own the reason why I wasn't writing. That's like, you know, the whole muse thing. There is no such thing as a muse. You don't have a muse. <laughs> Nobody does. We could, we, um, could, we could go on like a two-hour rant on the whole muse thing. It just infuriates There's no me. muse thing. Your characters don't do anything without your permission. Anything your character does on the page, you wrote that. It came out of your brain, out of your head. They didn't. In, there's no special force that invaded your brain and wrote for you. And and the problem there's the a large subconscious part of writers. Are mm-hmm. my husband asked me once when I was writing. I've been writing most of the day. I've been writing six seven hours at the time, and he stops on my desk, and that's when we shared office space, and. Um, I took my headphones off, and he was like, um, dude, you haven't eaten. I was like, well, dude, I'll get a sandwich. He said, where does it come from? I was like, what? I said, here's my plot. I started my document. He said, but where does it come from? You haven't even looked at that notebook since you sat down. Where do the words come from? Didn't have an answer. I still don't. It's a very – you write from a very – um deep place mentally Mm -hmm. I don't often even choose the words actively when I'm writing Um, I make word choices more often you know specific word choices in editing yes definitely I am more choosy about my structure and the word choice and um, the overall pace than I am when I'm actually writing because it's a very natural um unconscious process which is why I think a lot of people like to latch onto that muse concept yeah to me I actually stopped using the word because I found when I started getting having contact with people who were kind of anthropomorphizing the whole muse thing muse to me was always what I what inspired me so muse to me was sort of synonymous with inspiration um but I stopped using the word muse because I would talk about my muse on this is, you know, this thing that happened. And they're like, oh, well, my muse's name is Harold, and he eats three times a day and doesn't let me write on Tuesdays. And I'm like, what? No. What? No, bitch. No, that's not how that works. I'm like, I'm like, are you on meds? And I didn't have any <laughs> idea that, that this was like a common thing. And the thing is, when you blame your muse for – either the good or bad, whichever you're blaming your muse for, you will ultimately blame your muse for everything. So if, you, if you're saying your muse is making your characters do this, and this went so great, my muse is so wonderful, then when you're blocked, it's your muse, muse's fault too. Oh, well, Harold won't let me write today. He's in a bad mood. Well, how does that work? That's not good that, for you. That takes away ownership. Yeah. The muse owns your success. The muse owns your failure. Just, just don't. What do you? Own? I mean, I, I have very, very strong feelings about this whole muse thing, um, especially if if it's 
if it, you think it's driving you. And like Kara said, there's something, there's something very primitively creative that's going on. And if you are struggling, you've got you to work through that. And they, they say in cognitive behavioral therapy, they say that one of the precepts is action precedes motivation. And what that means is you have to do to be motivated. The more you do, the more motivated you will be. That's how, I mean, the first time somebody tries, you know, inspiration, however, can get you to action. So you get inspired, you take action, you keep doing the action, you get motivated to keep doing it again. The more you do it, the more you're motivated. It's cyclical. And the idea is that you're not, there are going to be days when you don't feel like it. Everybody has those days. You do it anyway. And then let's the motivation comes. Like, because the thing is, when you do it, even when you don't want to, that's where the motivation comes in to do it again. It's like and it oh creates my God, a really so good. good habit. And yeah. writing should be your everyday habit. So if you're feeling uninspired or you don't want, to, I'm gonna stop using the word block. But if you're feeling uninspired or you're having a hard time getting going, or just for some reason you can't. And sometimes if the words aren't coming, it might be that you're starting in a place that's not conducive to your story and you haven't pinpointed your structural problem yet. Reach out and talk to somebody. Maybe it's you're stressed out about some other thing, and what you really need to do is go do the other thing so it's off your mind and you can get back to your writing. Yeah, go but, wash those dishes, <laughs> which can sometimes actually be my problem. I mean, Think is full of dishes. It's all I can think about. We're down to 57 yeah, if you seconds. Have, if you have an OCD issue, that can get in the way. It's like, i got to go do this thing so I can quit being anxious about it. But reach out and get help. There are a whole community here who's willing to help you. Totally. 41 seconds. We'll be back later in the week. Don't forget on Friday we're going to do pantsing. She's really lady holders pants. She's a flaw there, but we're gonna but we're gonna talk about it. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.